We've all but, had our cereal. Yes, the cereal is vitally important. But the, uh, the day cannot begin until cereal has been had. Yes, it's been identified that that's how time actually passes. It cannot be afternoon until cereal has been had. And I suspect that if you have enough cereal, you can actually enter the future. Uh, oh. so it's entirely possible. So we need to, to stock em- up on those Wheaties. This is an empirical question, folks. Stock up on those Wheaties. And you, too, will be able to see the day that the robots take over the world. No! <laughs> so what kind anyway. of cereal did Einstein eat? And then... I don't know. Ooh. And did it travel faster than light? That's really what I wonder. So it's not but, E equals MC squared. It's E equals M serial squared? That could be what C stands for, actually. Oh. It's not the speed of light. It's serial. It's like E equals M Cheerios squared. Welcome to Crucible of Realms. I'm Jim. I'm John. And I'm Kent. And today our guest is the Jim Harris. Hello, sir. Hello. How are you doing? I'm, I'm well. How are you guys? Doing well. I'm doing well. Good. Yes, yes. Fair to Midland, at least. For those who are not familiar, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I am a PhD candidate at Ohio State University in history, but more importantly for the listeners to this podcast, I'm an avid fan of all general nerd culture, role-playing games, comic books, fantasy novels, etc., etc. And I am given to understand you have a cult. <laughs> uh, there are those who have called it that. Uh, <laughs> there are those who have called me the Jim Harris. As a result of a strange, strange following. Apparently, it's uh, one can't go into a convention with this man and not have him recognized. It's a fascinating thing. They, they have come up with a mantra for me. Know the man. Tell the myth. Believe the legend. So saith the Jim Harris. So saith we all. Wow. Wow. <laughs> and of course, we have no idea how this is. <laughs> it has come to be, but yeah. we don't know why. You have no idea why this cult exists. It just does. <laughs> well, that's all good cults. Just that, that's true. That's that's do. how they get often get started. You actually have a Facebook page at this point for the cult. There is a fan page for the Jim Harris where you too can like the Jim Harris. So I encourage everyone to do that. I'll go ahead and put a link to that in the show notes. So let's get to the world building. Jim, as you are our guest, did you have a concept you wanted to throw at us? Well, yes. Having uh, listened to a bunch of your previous podcasts, something you haven't done in a while is is some steampunk. And since I'm a British historian, I think I'd like to play with that genre, but with a twist. Maybe the society is technologically driven, you know, standard steampunk, but in the underbelly of society, magic is appearing and, and corrupting a technological society, or a steampunk society. Mm. That sounds kind of interesting. Do we want to tackle that? Sure. I'm okay. up for the challenge. All right. Well, first off, I think what we need to decide is, is this going to be an alternate Earth, or is this going to be a new place entirely? What do we want for that? I'm up Ooh. with doing an alternate Earth, but that's what you guys <laughs> I think alternate Earth, yeah. With, yes. With, with that tendency. Okay. With attendant changes. Yeah, sure, okay. So do we want this to be positioned in, like, the Victorian era, as most steampunk is, or do we want to do something different with it? Sure, <laughs> sure, let's go with the Victorian era. Yep, okay. Is it Victorian era with the steampunk advancements that we 
Yeah. Steampunk computers and steampunk airplanes and <laughs> zeppelins and... Well, I, I think airships are probably quite important oh, to this, yes. but... Oh, yes. Uh, dirigibles. I mean, you can't have a good steampunk setting without dirigibles. I don't know okay. that we need to go much beyond dirigibles, though, unless we want to go, like, ornithopters or something. Ornithopters. Wow. Although that's kind of more Da Vinci. Yep. Uh, but, uh, but, you know. They stole all that stuff. He had that code and all. That is true. But yeah, it's actually, it's a good question. Do we want to do this steampunk where the technology is simulating stuff that we have later, or do we want to just do it as more of the era stuff bent in different directions? I would think the latter would be probably the best. So no steampunk computers or steampunk cell phones or things of that nature, but... We're, we're uh, keeping with the traditional steampunk. We're talking about steampunk with magic emerging. Is that what we're... Yeah, correct. Yeah, what we're trying to go for? And I, I oh, think yeah. I see the magic sort of corrupting the technology or unmaking the technology, you know. You know. So you, you're kind of thinking of then as the magic then that's entering this world would be fighting against the technological forces. Exactly. Sort of magic users trying to unmake the existing society. Now you're saying magic users, so are are we talking about then people specifically learning magic, then le- learning how to yeah, do magical spells, things of that but nature? I think they're in the minority. So thing that's just sort of starting now that's going to come to a head at some point. Is, yes. it, is it a second world versus first world kind of situation? Yeah, I think it's sort of an underbelly of society mm-hmm. that's trying to upheave this. It's sort of the magical version of the Marxist revolution. <laughs> <laughs> Do we want to go ahead and set this in Europe, sort of focusing on kind of uh, the UK and all that? Oh, yeah. Sure, sure, yeah. I mean, obviously we have the entire world to play with, but probably most of the action is going to be focused on that area. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. We've got these two factions, which is good, and so we need to figure out things that would represent these two factions. How do I put this? Uh, Groups of folks that can hit each other, (laughs) basically, (laughs) either literally or metaphorically. Do we want to start on the steampunk side or the magic side? I think we should start on the steampunk side, because then we can develop a society that the magic side is fighting against. Okay. So, obviously, at this point, the steampunk side has the upper hand. So, what do we want to have as a force or a uh, group of people? How do we want to tackle this? Do we want this to be stuff that's, like, government-sponsored? Is this something where there are private societies that promote the use of inventions and inventors? Or is it something completely different? How ubiquitous is the... Is the steampunk side. The steampunk technology, yeah. Do zeppelins fly the skies? Is is the sky lousy with zeppelins, or are there just a few, I think is the question here. I think it's pretty pervasive if another faction is trying to sort of bring the system down. Mm -hmm. What do you guys think? Yes, I do too. So is the sort of rebellion or the opposition, is it coming from outside of England? Is it coming from the colonies? This is the era that the colonies are starting, you know, they're still subjugating some, but some of them are starting to break break loose. So is it coming out of Africa and India India. and China? That's an interesting idea. I think we can play with that. Because the Boxer Rebellion was, well, that was late Victorian era, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The British Empire thing was really, well, and this is arguable, but from what I understand, it was kind of at its height during the Victorian era. That is correct. So they're getting all these things from these different colonies, and it's really kind of a pushback of the mystical from those areas. So are they aligned to come after it, or is this just, are these colonists? I guess you would say, coming to England to try to take it down from the inside with magic. Yes, I think so. I think the the disassembly of society is happening internally. So what I'm hearing here is that maybe there's a lot of these sort of goods are being transported into England 
that perhaps are of a mystical nature, various beasts and whatnot, and members of criminal societies and what have you are starting to get their hands on them. Various secret societies have been going on, mystical societies, fraternities, what have you, coming together to try to teach each other magics and take things over on a higher scale, perhaps. And so we have a lot of that happening. Let's see, to make this something we can play with, I would like to think we should come up with at least two specific groups in opposition to each other, and then possibly a third. If we were starting with the steampunk side, what kind of thing would we like to see as being narratively important? Would it be like a collection of scientists? Would it be like a uh, a group working for the crown? Would it be some sort of explorer society or something? What what would uh, what sort of thing would we want to see as like a major player here? I would think it would be some sort of academic. So should we sort of play with Jim's suggestion that there are a group of scientists, maybe in Oxbridge group? Uh, right, something like the Royal Society, although I guess that's a, probably a copyrighted term. Uh, something like it, maybe. Because that's like, like Newton and all those guys were all members of the Royal Society, which were all academic. Hmm, let me take a look here. They have a website. Oh, yeah. Royal it's called Society's- the Royal Society of London for Improving Natural Knowledge. <laughs> Royal Society is a fellowship of the world's most eminent scientists and is the oldest scientific academy in continuous existence. Wow. Newton was like a chair, had a chair. It was very prestigious. It says here, they began in an invisible college of natural philosophers who began meeting in the mid-1640s to discuss the new philosophy of promoting knowledge of the natural world through observation. Ooh, I like the invisible college. Yes. The Invisible College. <laughs> there, that's an excellent name. I, sold. Yeah. Uh, and as we are kind of creating this as a thing that perhaps it's not unlike the Royal Society, as, uh, or, or a thing perhaps it's even an extension of it. So how big would this be? Well, this if, invisible if college? based on the name that it's the Invisible College, is it a, is it a secret society or is it a very public, has it, does it have a very public showing? <laughs> it's publicly <laughs> invisible, yes, yeah. that's it. <laughs> Welcome to the Department of Oxymorons. They probably have a public name, but that's amongst themselves. They call themselves the Invisible College. Now you're going to make me come up with a name, right? Uh, yes. <laughs> Although we can actually save the name for later if we want to put it in the naming section. Yeah, but it seems like we need to come up with this one now because yeah, a lot of things hang on it. Or indeed from it. Dangling. By their toes. The public name needs to be so one of those very long, yeah. anglicized, excessively wordy names. Well, so let me ask, fitting. is this a private club, or is this a thing that's, like, attached to a governmental arm, or is this a thing that is attached to a business of some kind? Yeah, I see it. I, is, it is it attached to a university? What I see it? it being attached to Oxford or Cambridge, you know, one of the major that's cool. universities. Could it be a club, like yeah. a club within the Oxford faculty? Yeah, I like that. Sure. So we can say that this is like a group of Oxonians. was originally, anyway. Or, yeah, I mean, it's probably spread out at this point. Absolutely. Because they're probably getting agents together and sending them to different places and trying to find out what is happening. Well, yeah, the question is, is, did the tech come from them? Or is this just a society that's promoting the use of steampunk tech? Or was it members of their society that developed it originally and have propagated it? Yeah, I think from the nature of this... I think maybe they came up with a lot of innovations, but have kind of anonymously put them into the record, as it were, where it's they don't want to be identified as the source. Right, right. Ooh, okay. But they actually will do things like consult on people's inventions and whatnot and offer suggestions, but then sort of quietly step back and not take credit. Gotcha. Because it's uh, it's an invisible college, and it seems to me they want to be secretive about it. Right. 
You know, there's a League of Steam, right? Is there? <laughs> yeah, Steam being supernatural and troublesome ectoplasmic apparition. <laughs> what is this from? Sounds very Ghostbusters. Yeah, films. Yeah, modeled after Ghostbusters. Yeah, uh, paranormal, paranormal pest control. The steampunk Ghostbusters. Yeah. Okay, as guys uh, performing in Southern California. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Actually, I think I've seen some of their YouTube stuff. But, uh, well, it's a good thought. I mean, do these guys... The main threat to society comes from the magic. Are there also, like, monsters and stuff out there, or is this just mostly human-based? Actually, um, mostly being human-based. Human-based, yeah. If there are monsters, they're still out there in the world. They're not They're not particularly interested in one side or the other of the conflict. <laughs> well, the, the magic could be part of why how it's forcing the creature to attack if we're using yeah. monsters out there. From the sound of things, they're not really a major thing in this. This is just that they will come up from time to time. Right. If the dragons are out there, they're sitting back watching the humans and laughing at their silliness. Yeah, yep. probably. Or if there are monsters, like I said, they're still out in the third world, maybe. There's no need for them in the so-called first world. Not at the moment, anyway. Yeah, well, maybe that's one of the things that the magic people are doing is starting to loose some of those things back into the into Britain. Yeah, I can definitely see that going on. Instead of so, sending tigers back to London as gifts to the Queen, they're sending manticores or something. Right. <laughs> nice. Here, have a phoenix. Be careful with the drapes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's cool. So we have this invisible college. We should probably think more about what they produce and what they do. We established that they have this quiet hand in the process of invention. Um, yes. You think maybe that's what's upsetting the magic users, that this invisible college has too much of its hand in every aspect of society? Oh. It could be a source of conflict there. Yeah. Possibly. Possibly. If that's the case, then this is going to be a really big group. The other question, and we're getting sort of Nietzschean, but does science drive out faith? And so is the magic, the representation of faith, fighting Ooh. back, so to speak? Yikes. That's a little that's deep. interesting. But... I can see it being looked at that way, at least, because if I'm recalling correctly, a lot of what was happening in the conversion of the colonies, did it involve converting them to Christianity, or had that already happened by that point? I'm sure there was some subjugating in Africa was the official claim for the reason to colonize Africa was the civilizing Christian mission, yeah. Right. I mean, this could have roots going back that far, where we have that sort of I, bound up together. But although then that would take the focus of the conflict away from the magic versus the technology. I see maybe the magic users being almost a like cult-like set, and maybe the way they form is around the leaders of the magic user groups whose faith and stuff follows. I don't know. I kind of almost see it as a fight between industrialization and nature. Yes. Definitely. I don't really necessarily see it as a direct magic technology conflict, because one could argue that those are two different expressions of the same thing. And, you know, then the question of, are there magical artifacts out there that you can attach to your steampunk and all that? But if it's something about, say, like the way that the factories and everything are going during this time, the way that the Industrial Revolution is causing not only advancements, but also choking things off in nature, then you can easily see that as a kind of a thing where the forces of nature, in a way, are fighting back. So the magic users are sort of like defenders of nature. They could be like druids and such, yeah, basically, if you think about it. I like that. I like the magic users being sort of druidic. Because, and also on the positive side, you already have those in England, so you don't need to import them necessarily, but at the same time, they could be making contact with these forces on other continents, and so you have them getting involved in this underbelly that we are discussing. Mm-hmm. 
Gotcha. Okay, so back but, to the Royal Society. Or, uh, but yes, to this society, this invisible college. Let's get a better picture of these guys. First off, how are they structured? Is it something where they just have, they have like a chair and then that's it? There's got to be some sort of, and I don't want to say council because that doesn't sound right, but it's a... Committee. A committee, yeah, probably. Okay. It's headed by a committee? Yeah. And there's like, say, a chair of the committee? There's probably a chair of the committee, yeah, but they're all academics. They probably kind of don't like authorities. There's not a rigid hierarchy to them. And so maybe it's a thing where you come up with your own studies, and then eventually you put a like a, a paper or an invention or something together, and you present it to the committee. And the committee then, Either, it's know, like a grant-giving board. They, they Yeah, they approve or they reject. So they're actually deep into Oxford's finances, I think, as well. Yes, that's why they have their hand in, in lots of the processes, because they have lots of resources. I yeah. Think. And it also works out nicely because if you're curious about this kind of thing and you're at Oxford, you have to go to the one person you don't want to ever see, which is the bursar. The purser. <laughs> oh, no, not the bursar. <laughs> yes, exactly. In any college, you don't want to go and talk to the bursar. <laughs> right. The bursar. For some reason, you always want to avoid doing that. <laughs> Because they don't really do anything, and so they're really annoyed when you show up to talk to them. And and then they hold the purse strings, and that's the thing. Right. But you see then in, in so, this version, the purser actually does stuff. Right. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, <clears throat> Crucible of Realms would like to apologize to any bursers who may be listening. <laughs> Please don't cut off our funding. Um, <laughs> but uh, that said, I'd say like the burser would be like their liaison with the college almost. The burser is the liaison between the college and the... Uh, or the various the colleges, I should the say. The committee or the Invisible College at large? I think probably the committee. Okay. They probably keep it fairly rigid that way. In the Invisible College, you've got the committee and then, uh, you know, everyone else are just sort of general members. And those general members can bring forth the different things to have them either approved or rejected for funding. And they kind of go from there. So that's good. They probably, I think, give more attention to international projects just because of this conflict that is now going on. So we probably have more things coming in for like we need more war machines and things of that nature. Is that the direction technology is heading then? Um, well, this segues nicely into uh, something we need to talk about definitely, which is what does the steampunk technology look like? What is it? What's proliferating? We've got zeppelins. What else do we have? I think technology is already in place to expedite manufacturing. I think the Industrial Revolution is a little further ahead than it was in actual Earth history, and that steam technology has made manufacturing more efficient. We haven't quite got to the assembly line yet, but the process of industrialization is moving at a faster pace. Okay, so what would we see as a result of that? What kind of things do we see happening? Do we have cars? Do we have, like, say, steam <laughs> carriages or something like that? I could see steam carriages. Do we have tanks? Do we have... I think that tanks are on the way because, as Jim just suggested, the technology is moving towards... Manufacturing is, has really advanced the UK. Now they want to strengthen the empire, so more weapons of war are being designed. Yeah. And I think right now I would say that a tank would be more like a cannon... On a steam carriage. Yeah, basically on a, on a steam wagon or something like that. What about, well, obviously boats. I guess you'd have steamships. We need many boats, yes. The Tommy gun? Uh, <laughs> I don't know that we're quite at Tommy guns yet, but uh, I'd be thrilled to see guns that fire electricity. Ooh. Oh, yeah, you've got to have lightning guns. Yes, lightning guns are very important. I would assume we have submarines? Yes, they don't move very fast, but, yeah. but they have submarines. So do we have people experimenting with airplanes? Obviously, we have Zeppelin. Do we have experimental airplanes out there? 
I like. I'm the just girth. imagining this idea of giant slingshots for some reason. <laughs> what are the <laughs> giant like gliders? Gliders. I, I still like the dirigibles. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I think they're content with the dirigibles for now, so I don't think they have air, airplanes yet. So yeah, I think that that gives us kind of a, at least a basic thing that we're looking at here, and then I think we can, as necessary, kind of put more devices in as as we go. Oh, what about? pharmacology and what have you. Are we having advances there as well? Or is it all really just steam-based stuff? I think it's all really steam-based stuff. Okay. So no alchemists running around then? <laughs> Maybe not in the Invisible College. Maybe there are some of the magic user folk, but I don't see the Invisible College having alchemists. Okay, that works nicely. So we've got uh, the Invisible College helping to produce all of these wondrous devices. And uh, is there anything else we wanted to find about them right now, or should we move on to the magic side? But now, I think that they have some fellowships or, or something like that, sort of an adventuring sort of society or groups that kind of come out of that. Okay, uh, so maybe... Be an explorer society? Right, something like that. So maybe there are like a number of explorers clubs that they sponsor right. in different locations. You think that... Uh, yeah. Uh, is this a separate organization? I think well, they're separate organizations, but they're funded by the Invisible College. Okay. So let's say we have an organization that has a number of, shall we call them, I guess, charter houses in different locations. They are kind of, I guess, explorers clubs. And I think they should be on the different continents in which the British Empire had influence. So there should be one for Africa, one for, yeah. for the Orient. Yeah, definitely. Well, yeah, I can see there being one in Africa, one in Asia. I can see there being one, possibly they might have one down in Australia. Where are we in Australia's history? Has it gotten to the point that it's no longer... Nah, it's a penal colony at this time. Still a penal colony? Okay, they wouldn't have one down there yet, then. There might be a club branch out in North America somewhere, because they still have Canada. There'd be something there. But... Would Canada need to be explored? It's not as... I don't know that they find it as fascinating as the sort of sense that, of... That is true. It's not the other that was so fascinating to real world Victorians. Well, some of them might cross the border to the south and explore some of the, some of the U.S. that hasn't been taken yet. Strange Americans. Yes. Why ever did they abandon us? So foolish of them. So How foolish. dare they? <laughs> But, okay, so let's define a little bit about this Explorers Club or what have you. First of all, is it all one organization or is it a number of different ones? I think it's a number of different ones. I think there's one, uh, at least one for Africa and one for India and the Far East. But and I there could see be more it. within each continent. Right, and I see it having okay. like chapter houses in major world capitals across Asia and Africa. This kind yeah, of- but uh, I guess then, where would the main centers of these organizations be located? The headquarters is probably in London. Yeah. Okay. The Invisible College is probably at Oxford, but yeah. So you know, the this is in London. So so how many different clubs do we want there to be here? Then we know one for Africa. We know one for India and the Far East. Any more, or just those two? There's probably one for the America, North America, and one for yeah. South America. Yeah. Is there one just a colony? There could be. There's plenty to explore down there. Yeah, I mean. I think so. They may not have as much in the way of colony support, but there's still plenty to go and check out. So we're looking at, then, four explorer-type clubs. Is that about right, or do we want yeah. more of them? I think that's good. Too many, and we're over-flooding again. Yeah. So. <laughs> yes. I think this okay. will be good. So we've got them, and they go out, and they look for interesting things. Are they, like, archaeologists and such, or do they go and hunt animals or uh, think, trophy hunters? I, I or, think they're uh, both. They have a range of functions. Some, I think they're members of different things, depending on their individual yeah. interests. There are you know, anthropologists, and then there are big game hunters. And It's actually like a bunch of different versions of the National Geographic Society. Yes. Think Something about like that, yeah. With high tech. 
Yes, well, well, then they have this technology provided to them by Invisible College or just that they happen to pick up. So this is good. What do we want to tackle next? Do we want to tackle the magic side? Yeah, I think we need to tackle the magic side so we can define the conflict between them. Yeah, so we've already talked about the idea of nature. We've talked about the idea of religion. So what do we want to think of for, like, another power group in here? Do we want something that combines these things? I mean, do we want to go with something that's, like, headed by druids, or do we want to do something that's... I, I can see that there are a number of disparate organizations, but narratively speaking, what are we most interested we've, in? We've tossed around a couple of ideas. We talked about this religious group. We talked about druids. We also talked about colonial subjects sort of resisting. Yeah. Uh, I think that either going with the druids or with the colonial subjects resisting is most interesting to me. I think we could have both, really. Yeah. Um, so there are two different factions. I think at least, yeah. And I think there are a lot of numerous factions, but as far as the ones that we're defining, just at the level that we're defining them at this point, we don't need to go into too much detail. Sure. It's, um, it's, but, it's always good to have more than just two. That way there's an imbalance or one's not going to go crush the other. There's a third one kind of offsetting or maybe a fourth one where there's a lot of counterbalance. Yeah. So we're going to see what the different interplay is. Yeah, be. yeah, yeah, yeah. That way we can, it's not just two people hitting each other with sticks. It's one person hitting a second person with a stick and then waiting to see if the third one hits them or not. Um, <laughs> <laughs> which is much more interesting. Which particular stick wielder do we want to... Uh, Tackle. Check out I next. Think, I think of the stick wielders, I see the druids watching the colonial subjects hitting the invisible college and or Britain with their stick, and the druids are seeing this as an opportunity. Okay. So the druids then that we're going to be talking about are going to be more like a secret society of their own. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. interesting. They consider themselves the original secret society. Yes. yes. We can't have an invisible society. We have the invisible yeah. society. <laughs> <laughs> We're more invisible than you are. We'll show you, we'll show you invisible, or we won't. We're you the... want to see what invisibility looks like? You can! <laughs> How can you make invisibility into a superlative? We're less visible than you are. We're, we're more invisible than you. <laughs> we're even more invisible than you. They didn't even use writing. Actually, apparently, from what I understand, they kind of didn't. They were very careful not to leave traces of themselves. According to Wikipedia, anyway. Well, uh, as we learned earlier, the internet is the source of all knowledge. So That's that, right. Yeah, must be the case. If it's on Wikipedia, it's true. Absolutely. <laughs> they check. That's right. So if we were talking about the Druids, we've got the whole thing with the Celts and the Wicker people and all of that. Wicker men that they would load people into and burn them alive and all that, which was fun. Or the various sacrifices that had to be made. So they are, are they right. actually out of like Glastonbury or? I think some of them might Salisbury be. Then or? again, I think they might have planted folks there because that's where you expect them to be. Ah. They probably have people there, but those are the ones that they expect kind of to get caught because that's where people are going to go looking for them. Right. So it, they probably don't do a lot. It's probably just whatever they do kind of, and it's strange to say this about a secret society, but whatever they do publicly. <laughs> right. When somebody yells round up the usual suspects, those are the guys that. Yeah, because people in the quote-unquote real world to this day still go out and do what they call druidic rites at these stone circles. So you have that happening. But in our also, alternate world, when these people, the usual suspects, are going out to the circles, they really are yes. invoking magic. <clears throat> at least, or at least I think their leaders are. Now, do we need to cover what can you actually do with this magic? That might be helpful. Can they cast fireballs? I mean, that's taken into the D&D realm. But. I'd like to think it's perhaps a little subtler than that. I don't think there are no fireballs. I like the idea of being able to make plants move. That's always cool. Yeah, if, because that brings us back to the nature versus industrialization. 
motivation. Yes. Thing, yep. It's magic that strengthens or evokes nature in some way. Can yeah, they so I think, affect probability, stuff like that, games of chance, that kind of stuff? Less- there might be an offshoot that can do that. I don't know. That those would not be specifically part of the druid group, I don't think. Right. There might be people who have found those kinds of applications where if you're wanting to get more like into hermetic societies, there probably is a group that's like that. Okay, here's the other question. Like Golden is, Dawn or what have you. I don't know if they're is, around. Is magic universal, so to speak? We've got all these magic users that are being drawn in from the colonies. You know, and maybe you've got people coming out of India and China and Africa, South Africa, those kind of things. Is magic one, so to speak? Like, would a druid go, oh, yeah, he's just applying magic in that direction. Are they going to all get along because they're magic users and it's sort of that's their society, their sort I, of secret society kind of thing? I don't, Honestly, I think they're divided somewhat. I think their goals are similar. So when one group of magic users sees another one using magic to, for lack of a better term, fight the Invisible College, they have a certain sort of camaraderie with them. Yeah. But I think that colonial magic users are trying to free themselves from imperialism, whereas the druids are trying to, like, restore nature. I think they have two different goals with the mad, but both are in opposition to the advancement of technology that the Invisible College is behind. Yeah. Mm. So there's a certain camaraderie in that they're both in opposition to the Invisible College, but they're not. Now, uh, here's the thing. If we make the magic people too powerful, then why don't they just overwhelm? I mean... Because there's only a few of them. Okay, that's what I was getting at. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think the ones that have the quote-unquote true power there probably are not that many of them just the, um, the grand master druid and yeah so you're going to have druidic groups where some of their leaders will probably be able to pull some interesting spectacular stuff off but they're also wanting to be relatively subtle with that because they know that if they go crazy with the magic that the rest of society which has all of these lightning guns and what have you will descend on them mm-hmm. so they have to be careful in that respect but a druidic society is looking like it's going to work out. How big would it be? I mean, is it just localized? I see it being small. I don't know how localized it is. In other words, I mean, do, are there members just like right around England and what have you, or are they in some of the colonies as well? Or I think the druids are just from Great Britain or the United Kingdom. There can be Irish druids, too. We won't discriminate. So basically England, Ireland, Scotland, Wales, and such, yeah. and that's pretty much where they proliferate. That differentiates them from the other group. Is there anything in particular we'd like to define about them? Well, we've already determined that leaders have, only the leaders have real spectacular power, that they're subtle, and that their magic evokes nature in some way. What specifically about nature does it evoke, I wonder? Is it a thing where it's like they can make the trees move? Is it a thing where... They can talk to the trees. There's a thing where they can turn into animals. Granted, I'm still pulling from D&D here, but it's... No wild shape. Well, <laughs> I mean, how are, is this intended to be a, a direct confrontation? Are they playing... Who's playing what game? I mean, does the Invisible College even know that there's a threat to them? Is that what the game is, so to speak? Is that there are these kind of disturbing reports of people, of members going missing, or...? I think the most direct threat is probably from the colonists. But do they even recognize that? Well, <laughs> I think some of them probably don't, but some of them might. I think if they're building weapons of war, that is because a threat has been realized. But I agree with Jim. I think it's more on the colonial subject that are the, so, the known threat. The druids are behind so we're, are, the are we another have, level of invisible. 
Again. It's the idea that then we're headed towards a war. Yeah. Yeah, probably. Uh, like an open war or a, a secret war, I suppose. I think it's probably one that'll break out into another. Kind of almost like World War One, if you think about it. Okay. Yes, World War One comes early, and it's caused by magic. <laughs> Which is awesome, being that my expertise is World War One history. Ah, well, there we are. <laughs> British World War One history. Are both sides trying to win the masses? The Invisible College is doing things generally that benefit everybody, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, benefit their society. Yeah. From their point of view, they do benefit everyone. Right. They're helping to get the kinds of devices that need to be built built. So how do you win a war if you can't convince the masses that your side's worth supporting, I suppose? Yeah. Propaganda about the wonders of science. Yeah. I think the masses do agree with the wonders of science, and it's it's the threat. It's the threat to their ordered, structured, scheme-powered world. Instead well, of Kitchener wants you to fight those darn balmy Germans, it's <laughs> Kitchener wants you to fight these sorcerers. Right. <laughs> and his zombie legion. Yes, exactly. They have zombies. They can't possibly be good people. <laughs> I'm just trying to find that, uh, you know, because obviously we're painting it so that you can't really support the druids, can you? Well, who, well, first of all, who is you in that sentence? Well, in the the general person that is in that world. The general person that in, is in that world and the way that they would interact with the druids is if they know about, you know, sort of like the, oh, those robed figures go up on the hill at different times. I would like to find out more about them. Let me go and see if I can join their group. And you do that. And then after a while, if they like you enough, then they'll say, okay, now here's how this really works. But why would you want to do that if science offers you more? That is a good question. We see there were people also at the time who spoke out against the things that were being done to nature. And so there would be people of that sentiment. Gotcha. Okay. That the Druids could attract in that way. Naturalists and what have you. Right. But if if the bulk of humanity is against you, you don't win, usually. Right. That's why I said a little while ago that I think the bigger conflict is between the colonial subjects and the empire. And the Druids, therefore, see this as an opportunity. Yeah. I think they're building their power base. I see what you're saying. They're going to be that third power that's watching the colonial subjects beating the Britons with their stick and go, oh, this is a good time to jump the Britons with our stick, too. Yeah. They're not quite ready to summon the giant walking trees and make the castles fly up into the air and stuff like that just yet. But that's coming. I don't mean to sidetrack us. I'm just trying to put my head around this. Oh, sure, sure. Is there anything else also about the druids that we want to define at the moment? Well, we define the committee being the head of the Invisible College. Do we need to determine the leader? Of the, is it just a, the Grand Master Druid or is a, a leadership structure? Or do we need to do no, any notable people or is that too specific for this? It is good that we define the leadership, whether it be a council, individual, that sort of thing. That way we understand how it's being led. Yeah, why it's being priests or something, or uh... does it work for us to have just a single person driving the resistance on the druid side? I see them as being rather fanatical about their cause. So having a demagogue who actually does have some pretty substantial powers, I think there might be. A figure that sort of links and coordinates the various druidic groups around the UK. There you go. And they all kind of listen to him, and they're various different heads, which I assume are going to be like high priests or something of that nature. Mm -hmm. Listen to him or her. And this might be someone who is a representation of nature or or what they're worshipping. Mm-hmm. This is now the time to... A Gaia or something like that? Check check the the green man? Yeah, the green man. (laughs) Bring the green man out again. (laughs) Seriously, that's a British... It is, yeah. Yeah, that's true. It's a thought. Or something like Canunus. 
Oh, but we're not to the naming process now. Yeah, our... Right, well, no, I mean, I'm just talking about the Celtic god Cernunnos. Because we have, and actually it's funny because I'm looking again at Wikipedia, and they're listing notable sort of Celtic deity types. And they've got antlered gods, healing deities, goddesses of sacred waters, goddesses of horses, mother goddesses, cult of Lu, cult of Tyrannus, cult of Tatis, cult of Isis. Now, that may be the other, this could be the end. We've said that the physical sciences are the realm of the realm of this. But what about the healing sciences are actually the realm of this other group? The druids, the magic users, so to speak. They're healing nature by combating science? In a way, yes, but I mean they also understand the healing arts. Ah. So the doctors are all, are not men of science, maybe. Well, it's the thing that they know the various hearth medicine type things that need to be done. If we want to go in the healing direction, then this one figure we're talking about could represent someone like Breed, <laughs> spelled Bridget of the Tuathadadanan. Okay. Who's one of the healing deities. All I was saying was if you can heal people, you can win them over to your side. I was looking for the way that yeah. a way for the druids to win the people, so to speak, I suppose you would say. That works. I think healing magic would definitely be within their purview. Okay. And that's probably also something that they try to encourage people well, to do is I, I would at the very say least a public not, relations move. Not even necessarily magic, just healing. The healing yeah. arts. There's a lot of that in various Celtic traditions and such when you talk about druids, so that works out nicely. So that's definitely a possibility. So do we want to define anything else about the druids? I mean, do we want to actually talk about their leader, or do we want to leave that sort of alone for now? I think we can come back to it. Does it need to be defined now? I don't think so. Yeah, not necessarily. Yeah. Let's come back to it. So now we have the third quote-unquote faction, which is it's not exactly a faction that much, but it might end up being. I don't know. But we're going to be talking about the colonials. Mm-hmm. and what they are like, if there's anything that unites them in particular, and how they fight back. So their Go goal ahead. is fighting back against the Empire, right? Yes. I would think almost that maybe, now just something that's been floating around there that we haven't used yet, that we might be able to plug in here, are uh, the individuals who are into hermetic magic, more stuff that's like ritualistic magic, things of that nature. People who try to be more sort of like wizards and whatnot. Does that hmm. sound workable at all, or is... Yeah, yeah. If, anyone, if anyone has something not quite throwing fireballs, but more... Whereas the druid's magic is perhaps more subtle... The colonial subjects are more overt yes. in their magic, and therefore that's where the threat, the perceived threat comes from, is their magic mm-hmm. is actually damaging, as opposed to the druids' magic being magic of healing. So they might have things almost like fireballs. <laughs> perhaps like, maybe like a flame thrower, but yeah. Yeah. The things where it's you know you can, they can where they can pick up fire and throw it that kind of thing certainly not have it explode but they can also probably twist the fire and make it like blue or green or yeah. they can make it more showy yeah. pyromancers or what have you mm-hmm. would definitely be like one type are they elementalist or are they more than that? I think some of them might be definitely because of course of my own geekiness part of me wants to try to integrate the order of the golden dawn into this somehow because okay. it was kind of their time period what is the order of golden dawn. Yeah, okay, that was you're going to have to enlighten us. The Order of the Golden Dawn, it was a hermetic order. It was started in the late 19th century. Alistair Crowley was a member. Let's say oh, still great. Exists. 
Yeah, Probably. and well, there are new societies that use the same name. And we've actually talked about them a little bit in previous episodes. So they talked about the three parts of the wisdom of the whole universe being alchemy, astrology, and theurgy. And the Order of the Golden Dawn was more specifically into theurgy, but uh, you could also have groups that are into things, you know, more alchemical things or astrological things if you want. For shame, I do remember you talking about that in a previous episode. But essentially, they had the idea of magic through ritual, basically. And so I was thinking that possibly they might have feelers out to these different colonies to try to get them support when they can so that they can kind of during the chaos, work their way up in British government or what have you and start taking over. The Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, structurally, they were in some ways similar to the Masons. But a number of their members, Crowley in particular, found it important to go around learning about different magical traditions and incorporating them where they felt it would be helpful. So that also is something where I can see a role of someone like that going around and looking at different users of magic in the colonies, making contact and figuring things out. The colonial subjects using magic, are they being manipulated by some sort of an anarchist group, then? I would definitely like to think so. Or at least in part. That's interesting. interesting. Where they're kind of being pushed on the other side to cause the chaos. And in fact, it's not actually their own goal to cause the chaos. Well, yeah. And I mean, yes, that's the beauty of it. They're just working on their own natural inclinations. But they're actually being masterminded by somebody else. Yes. Interesting. Or at least that's the theory. I don't know if you guys like that or not. That's yeah, no, no, no. Oh, yeah. I like that. And just sort of, you know, exchanging information well, on rituals, things of that nature. We come um, to find out the leader's a disgruntled steampunk. Uh, <laughs> a guy who didn't get funded by the Invisible College. Yeah, yeah. That'd be awesome. Wow. A disgruntled or, scientist. Or, yeah, he was expelled for some reason. Yeah. You know, that's better. great, because that's the one figure who's combining the two different approaches. Oh, yes. He's coming out with, like, May- yeah, the, maybe he came the arcane guns. And, right, uh, right. He came to them with the magic. Yes. And they were like, what the frick, man? <laughs> no, that doesn't fit with our worldview. And we cast you out. <laughs> I love it. Yes. A, a strange member of the Invisible College is the mastermind behind yes. effectively a, a war of empire. Yep. No, we don't. Really we does, don't want a gun that casts spells. What are you talking about? That really does show. If that's the case, that really does help us explain the sort of strength of the Invisible College. That their reach is so vast that a former member has caused a world war. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. There we go. I like it. So that works, I think. So what kind of stuff do we want to see out of the colonies, aside from fire magic? I think number magic. Probability uh, magic. Yeah, as, as Harry Potter called it, arithmancy. Number like, magic, that kind of calculation. Involving numerology, but yeah. also... Yeah, that kind of stuff. I can see that coming out of somewhere like China. Right. Like some of the colonies over there. Right. Agreed. Yeah, Britain had, what, what Shanghai and... Hong uh, Kong. Hong Kong. They... Well, I mean, that's the whole Boxer Rebellion. They essentially... <laughs> Control China. Yeah. Or at least the opium crisis. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that also is a little subtler, but then that also works sort of with that mindset that is popular in popular fiction that they have of the way of looking at things sort of from a distance, controlling things in a different way. Just basically don't get into a game with a Chinese gambler. Or yeah. you will lose. Do they have elemental magic? So they have elementalists, they have probability mages. Where do the elementalists come from? Maybe they're out of India? Didn't yeah. the different Indian gods have different... I'm not Africa, too. Yeah. See, classical elements. Here we go. They had it everywhere, but see, in India, they had five elements. Earth, water, fire, air, and ether. 
We could do that. Maybe it's a, the whole elemental magic. It's very broad. You've got elementalists everywhere, basically. Right. That works, because that's a very big and obvious thing that people could have just sort of latched onto. Yeah. And that might actually, you know what, the elemental magic might be more of what this hermetic <laughs> disgruntled scientist is spreading, maybe through the Golden Dawn or what have you. Yeah, that might be what that's coming from. The idea of, here, use the elements. What? Okay. And they continue to do that. And so that's one of the reasons why you see it all across the board. So the invisible college people, do they take a scientific kind of... Is, is it is it because magic can't be explained? Well, here's the deal. I don't think that's necessarily true. But I think that maybe there are those there who... They're, it's not that they're fundamentally opposed to magic per se. It's just that as scientists, they want the science to be done properly, which means that they need to have it done as something where it's a repeatable experiment and not something that you see... That's what I was getting at. ...coming up at random. Right. That magic calls on forces that can't be explained. Well, it's one that, well, if there is a scientific explanation, it's one that we haven't discovered yet. Right. True scientists, if they saw it demonstrated, would want to try to study it. It's really more, I think, what the scientists' end results are producing in that these people individually have beefs with them because they're getting crowded out in one way or the other. You have British oppression in the colonies going on, and the magic is the tool that they're using to fight back. Right, but I was getting at that we've kicked somebody out for wanting to use magic out of the invisible college. Yeah, I think it was that he wanted to use it and he didn't have a foundation for it. He didn't have a foundation of proof for it. That's what I was getting at. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that's... If you're coming to Invisible College for funding, you have to have data points to back up your ideas. Yeah. And magic does not present... Yeah, it was a thing that where he's basically dealing with forces that he may not necessarily fully understand yet. Yeah. That's the thing. He's calling on and invoking forces that he hasn't done all of the studies on yet that he should have. <laughs> right, right. Because he knows it works, he just doesn't know how it works yet. The big thing was trying to determine what the colonies are using or what part of the elemental genre are they using. To me, I would think they would want to use all of them. But if we're yeah. trying to pick out a source, say like the colonists use fire and the druids are using more of the earth. Well, I mean, actually, I I think that in this case, we can have it go across the spectrum on both sides. Yeah. I think different colonists favor different elements. And in this case, I just mean different individuals will like different elements better. I think you can see all of the elements represented across all of the colonies. Correct. That's what I would Um, like to see. And I think in general, the elemental approach might be something that's being spread by this other secret society, which may or may not be the Golden Dawn. I think. And actually, it's probably an offshoot even that it's probably not even the Golden Dawn themselves because they were more into the theurgy side of things and this actually dips more into the alchemical side because alchemy is more what deals with the elements. So we've got at least two different types of magic that different colonies show up with. So you've got like the probability magic which is more prevalent in Asia and then elemental magic which is prevalent all over the place. Any other types of magic we would like to see? Well we talked about having mystical creatures. Does anyone have sort of summoning magic? Ooh. Hmm. Things dealing with other things. When you're saying summoning magic, actually, you're making me think about things like summoning spirits and demons and things of that nature. Is that something we want to put on the table? Yeah. Do we want to put necromancy on the table, even? I think Mm. necromancy, yes. But the whole summoning of other entities kind of presents its own set of problems, right? Yeah, yeah, that's true. You never know what Yogg-Sothoth is going to want to do when you call him up, what kind of a mood he's going to be in. So, uh... Kind of uh, have to be careful. Are you going to have steampunk fighting Cthulhu? Mm-hmm. Maybe eventually. Oh, uh, no, we 
crossed into another genre. Bringing your lightning guns against Cthulhu, you know. So. Now, that would be dangerous, but it could happen. Perhaps that's something that's sort of in the back of someone's head, but that hasn't turned up yet. Uh, awesome, though, that would be. I think maybe if whatever this hermetic group is, maybe they have that sort of in the back of their heads as a possibility, but not necessarily all of them. The necromancy is something I can see working. I actually like the idea of having that prevalent in Africa, if that makes sense. Because they already have things like zombification rituals and what have you. Right. So. You mean mummification rituals? That too. <laughs> they have mummification and zombification. Right. Ah. They have all manner of ways of dealing with undead, so why not bring it to the forefront? I like the idea of African mystics raising the dead, and therein poses another challenge for the British. It's one thing to fight the so-called inferior colonial subjects as they saw them, but now they're not only fighting a war against their subjects, but the subjects have a serious means to fight back with an army of undead at their... Yes, or, so that's or, something that's probably building. Or raising of British soldiers who are killed in conflict, a new... <laughs> presents all kinds of interesting challenges. But. The more you fight us, the more you add to our army. Yep. <laughs> you can't win. Eventually, we will outnumber you. It's only a matter of how many troops you send against us. Only way to win is not to play. Yes. <laughs> Very good, I like that. Actually, this is looking like we've got a lot here on the table yeah. now. We do. Is there anything else we want to throw on there? We've got a triad against the steampunk. Not good. Yikes. A triad? Yeah. yeah. Elementalist, probability magic, people, necromancers, and then nature mag- magicians and druids who are... Yeah, who are not really even directly, but they're trying to... Yeah, but we go. go back to the point that the steampunk people have the masses on there. Yeah. They have all the villagers with the pitchforks. Yep. <laughs> they have the civilized and masses on their side. And, uh, and they have tanks, uh, as we've established. Yeah. And they have tanks. <laughs> that's right. Well, yeah, and it, it, that's the big thing. I mean, science gives power to the masses. And arcane society, you have to study for years and years and years before you yeah. can cast that fireball. Right. But if I've got a gun, then that changes. That is a major selling point for the steampunk side of things. When you have a lightning gun, you don't have to spend years learning how to cast lightning bolts. That's right. Right. You just point and shoot. No, I mean, it's the same thing happened in, in history. You know, they invent the crossbow and suddenly all these knights that spent years and years becoming great warriors suddenly are outdated because any peasant with an aim can suddenly put a bolt through them and yeah. it's all over. Nice. So, think- yeah, they can be outnumbered. It's just that so- they're outnumbered. We already know that the uh, colonists are being led by secretly, uh, mind you, because remember, this guy is not a figurehead. He's the one no. whispering in their ears to do all this. He and his mastermind. society is secretly influencing yeah. these people. All right. And then how is the African necromancers led? Well, like I said, we haven't really defined too much about them because you're going to have a lot of different ones in different places doing different things. So I don't think they'd necessarily have a single leader. Ooh, chaos I, supreme. Hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't think, just like I don't think the Asian numerologists would have a single leader, necessarily. They could have formed their own societies and what have you. That would be cool. But at the same time, I'm thinking that really, for the purposes of what we're doing here, we may not really need to define that. Really? I think we can keep it in specific in the sense that our <laughs> to-be-named former member of the Invisible College has been traveling about meeting with various groups, tribes, city-states. What oh, have you whispering so, in their ears? Yeah, I mean, for so, example, in Africa, the question is, would be like, does your tribe have a Bokor or a Hungan in it? And if the answer is yes, then they may be the necromancer. Oh, he's banding the colonies together. Got yeah. It. Yes. Okay. 
Actually, he's using anybody he can. Yeah, pretty much. So he <laughs> is the true master mastermind. I think he is banding everyone but the druids together to rally around his cause. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Might have approached them, wasn't able to get a hold of them. <laughs> oh, he got a hold of them. They're, they were, they're just they looking at him invisible. like, are you freaking crazy? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they were too invisible for him to find. No, we're not going to incite violence. We, we <laughs> want to do it another way. Our ancestors did enough of the violence and sacrifice, right. and we don't want to do that anymore. We will fight back if necessary, but first we have to see what's happening. Right, right. So, I mean, it looks like we've got a pretty good, decent hold on this, yeah, so to speak. Hold. And the relationships of the societies and all that seem to be fairly clear here. So, I think we're about good to start naming things, unless there's anything else anyone wants to toss in here. No, That's I what I was going to complex web of intrigue going, which I like a lot. Okay, cool. So, we have the Invisible College, we named that as being the society that works kind of out of Oxford. Now, there are a number of Explorers Clubs with whom they deal. Do we want to name the Explorers Clubs? I think just calling them, like, the Asian Explorers Club, the African Explorers Club, etc. is sufficient. They probably have more complicated names that we maybe don't need necessarily go into. Right. Like the Royal Geographic Society of right. dedicated to the exploration of the African continent. You know, there you go, exactly. Right. These area, that kind of thing. Okay. Things of that nature. Okay. Now, this druidic society that we're kind of trying to hold together that might be held together by a central figure. I think we need to name the central figure, or at least give him a title. Okay. I kind of like the idea of it being a female central figure. Sure. Should it be something maternal, like like the Earth Mother or something? How about Bodicea? Oh! In, 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 in... Bodica? That was a specific individual. Right. But um, why can't it be her? Oh, you want it to be her? Oh, that's an idea. Let me see what happened to her. Let's see. I don't remember actually, either. I just Bodica was queen of the British Iceni. You cannot, I am. I would like to apologize for everyone whose names I'm mispronouncing here, but Iceni, British tribe. Bodecchia was the queen of the Britons who forced the Roman Empire out of the British Isles in the early years after Christ, in 60 AD, I think it was. Looking at the source of all knowledge, Wikipedia here. Yes, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, she, she was the queen. I think it's interesting if it would be her as she's been around all this time. I like that as well. That makes it a little bit eerie, actually. A female <laughs> Merlin. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Now, I'm actually in here in this same Font of All Knowledge article. talks about her name here and that she has several versions of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, of Odisha. course, being, being so many centuries old, you're going to have yeah. several names. But, I mean, this is just that have been applied to this figure, but we might be able to play with it that way if we need to, like what she's known as now. Her name hasn't changed, but it's like, what title do they call her? That kind of thing. Is she just the Archdruid Bodekia? Yeah, that could work. Okay, yeah, so it's like, it's known that that's her name, but then people are like, okay, well, she's named after her. And the ones in the notes say, yes, yes, that's totally it. She's definitely <laughs> named after her. She's in no way actually Queen Bodekia still alive. Yeah. <laughs> it's completely impossible. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's right. How silly. <laughs> so she is the Archdruid, okay. And of course we need to name Professor something, yes. the manipulator who was thrown into the Invisible College. Oh, God, now, yes. Now let me uh, ask you uh, actually a little bit about this professor. <laughs> oh. I'm sorry, just for some reason in my brain it was like, yes, it's, uh, it's like a Moriarty figure. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I, it can't be Moriarty. I have that in my head, too. Okay. But I definitely <laughs> see a more. I, I see this guy exactly like, or very similar to, <laughs> yes. a James Moriarty-esque figure, a master. Well, that also ties it, well, and that also very neatly ties it to the criminal underworld we were talking about a while back <laughs> at the beginning. He has ties to that and to these hermetic societies. What is his name? It's got to be a lord something as well. 
It was Professor something, Lord something. We're jumping around a lot. Usually we stick with one location. It's like, are we all done naming the druids? Do we need to name more than just Queen or Archdruid? Well, I mean, do we need to name the druid? Well, that was the other thing I was I initially asked. Do we need to name the, if there's a separate druidic society of them? But I think it could just be individual covens, really. Correct. Okay. But no particular other than Bodekia that needs to be named. We can just say... Yeah, it's pretty much just Boudica and uh, Boudica or whatever. Whichever version of her pronunciation we're using is there like 90,000. Okay. Do we want there to be a societal structure within there in addition to what we've had already, or do we want to just leave it at the individual covens? The covens. Yep. Coven. Okay, there. That's done. I would like to see, like, the coven of autumn. Okay. We can do that. The four, yeah, so sure. there are four covens and there are the four seasons. Or like, oh yeah, mm-hmm. maybe there are, okay. A coven individually can be any number of people, but if we want to go, like, there are four grand covens, they go by the four different seasons, that'd be cool. Correct. Yep. The winter coven, the spring coven, the summer coven, the fall grand coven, mm-hmm. and whichever season it is, that tells us who's in charge. Yes. Uh, underneath Who's the power arch sway over, yeah. That works nicely. I like that. And that's where those various high priests and whatnot interact on that level. Mm-hmm. That works. And okay. so then you how got, about mm-hmm. Harrowden? Lord Harrowden? Or the Harrowden? Uh, I don't know. He's a, there's a Baron Harrowden. I'm just looking for... Is that a British surname? Yeah. There we go. Harlequin. Baron Harlequin. Lord Harlequin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I type in Harrowden. It says, did you mean heroin? Yes, <laughs> or heroin, please. Yeah, it's kind of evocative of Herod from the Bible. What about Mortensen? Lord Mortensen. I actually kind of like Mortensen. Mm-hmm. Death. Okay, done. Uh-huh. Old. Death. <laughs> hey. Do we want to give him a first name, or just, or is it just Professor Mortensen? John. Professor John Mortensen? John Mortensen. Yep, but for all intents, uh, he rarely introduces himself with his first name, of course. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, that's, not. yeah. He's Lord Mortensen or Professor Mortensen. Yeah. Yeah, that works. And actually, there was one thing about British lordships I just wanted to check. Oh, and maybe they went as far as getting his lordship revoked or something. Mm. Ooh. Ooh. Like he was in the House of Lords and he got kicked out. Yeah. Guy was in Parliament. Holy crap. (laughs) Well, he's a master manipulator, so clearly he's a politician. Yeah, Yeah. and when they exposed him, everything went downhill from there. Yeah. Well, if it is an invisible society or an invisible college... Can they really revoke his... Uh, no, no, people? they would just manipulate. They're connected as well. They're just... Well, yeah, the thing is, they may have had more than just him in Parliament, is what we're mm-hmm. saying. But would they go so far as to have his lordship removed? That's what I'm thinking. I don't think they would have necessarily been able to do that. Correct. Because lord is a granted title. Correct. It's rarely refuted or removed. <laughs> yeah. That's the monarchy that kind of grants that. Mm. But if... I'm looking here about peerage... Uh, that doesn't have to be. There's a specific thing we can do with it if we want. It's just the importance of legal significance here. Since he's sort of the villain of... It might not have been a peer for life. That's the thing. It might not have been a a whole... uh, Sorry, go ahead. I think because he's sort of the the quote-unquote villain of the setting... Lord so-and-so is always such a great villain name. Mm. Well, yeah, the thing is, I think that it's possible that he has been disgraced, publicly disgraced, so he doesn't show up at the House of Lords anymore. That's better, yeah. It's like, technically, he could come if he wanted to. Right. But he would face so much derision if he did that... He never does. He never does. So, yeah, it's something where it's like he's not necessarily been kicked out, but he's pretty much essentially been kicked out. Right. He's been kicked out, but not actually kicked out. Yes, exactly. He has technically not kicked out, but for all intents and purposes. Yeah. Uh, so, okay, Professor 
Mortensen. In Parliament, is his chair missing? They've removed it. Ooh. It no Possibly. longer sits empty, it just is gone. Like if he ever shows up, <laughs> oh, it appears you'll have to stand, my lord. <laughs> Yikes. Further adding to the disgrace. Yes. <laughs> wow. Terrible, terrible thing. Does he have his own offshoot society that he's created that it, you know, focuses more on sort of the alchemical elemental thing? Or is he just using an existing hermetic society for that? Correct. I think he's encouraging an existing society to progress further. Okay. And so let's say he's, he's got his fingers in something like, say, the Golden Dawn, for example. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And he kind of gets a good deal of support from them and gets them to do a lot of the footwork of going to these different colonies and recommending these different things. That works. For all we know, he could have some sort of instant transportation where he can actually do it all himself. So and we've got that he's got his fingers in these other societies, so we don't really need to create a new society for him. And we decided that the various probability mages and necromancers and what have you don't necessarily have their own direct societies, so we don't need to name those. I think we're down to naming the setting, unless there's what? something wow. else. Yeah, I mean, unless is there anything else anyone can think of that needs to be named? Oh, so you're saying the cults or the circles in, like, Africa and America don't usually well, need to be named? Well, yeah, because there are going to be a bunch of them. Oh, gotcha. So it's not really something that I think we're going to have to deal with. It's something that individuals can name in their writing and what have you, but not anything that I think we need to come up with now, necessarily. Not Unless even... there's something that's in particular that strikes us here that we want mm-hmm. to play with. I mean, we can. It's just, you know... Um... Which, which society were you thinking of? Which group was this extra society? I thought we... One of the specific uh, magic user groups or magical types. Or at least for the areas. Like, you know, we're calling it the British colonies for the Americas and the Africas. I think yeah. they would probably form, they would be more likely to form societies of their own small sect group than that way they feel organized instead of being so disorganized against a well, unless Mortensen wants to keep it disorganized. I think maybe they're not quite at that point yet. They might be getting to the point that they're going to start forming alliances. Once the war actually breaks out. Yeah. Ah, okay. I think that probably we're waiting for some event to happen, and then once it happens, like someone attacks something, we might start getting them banding together into societies like you're talking about. Okay. That seems more natural to me. I I I could be wrong, but that's kind of what I'm feeling. Yeah, no, no, I think so. So he's getting ready for the big reveal, let's put it that way. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I think so. Now, does he have a trigger planned? Ooh. He might, but I don't know that we necessarily need to say what that is as of yet. Okay. He may have a master plan of some kind to bait the Invisible College into urging the British military to attack something in a particular place near the colony as a reaction or something. Mm-hmm. And, and then uh, spring his trap and yeah. thus sparking the war. Yeah. Maybe they're supposed to assassinate a Kaiser or something. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but, or, or, his, or his cousin, you know. So. Yeah. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Something like that that'll draw people into <laughs> their various secret alliances. <laughs> uh, and then all of a sudden, the people on the magical sides will realize, oh, wait, I have these secret alliances, so yeah. we need to go help them once, fight. Once one alliance is thrown into conflict, oh, we've got to help them, and then, oh, well, we've got an alliance, so that we've got, oh, no, this, pandemonium! This sounds, as, this sounds strangely familiar. I'm not sure why. I, I don't know why either. <laughs> and suddenly they're fighting on three fronts. Yikes. That's right. <laughs> Okay, so I think we're good then to come up with a name for the setting. Should it be the name of the trap? Ooh. (laughs) It could be. Okay, we've used Albion several times. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Could it be something something related to the Invisible College? Mm. It can be. I am now going to look up chess terms. 
moves in chess, I think is what he was looking at. Stratagem on... I kind of like something watch. Mm. That's not bad. Mm. I can't think of the, the name I want to use, though. Okay, this is a weird thought. We haven't used this word specifically, but... Okay. I was thinking maybe something like Sorcerer's Gambit. Ooh. Something like that. Yes, because Mortensen is playing all sides against the middle. It's his Gambit. Mm-hmm. And he is a sorcerer. Yeah. That works for me. Sorcerer's Gambit. I like that. Does that sound good? Yes. Yeah. Okay. There we go, then. This is the setting Sorcerer's Gambit. Sweet. Now, you know something <clears throat> that we didn't determine? What's that? Was what it was that he presented to the society that they rejected. <laughs> I tend to think it was something necromantic. Zombies? Ooh, yeah, or... something... Okay, yeah, I can zombies. see them immediately reacting to that badly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Perhaps it was an experiment involving the reanimation of dead tissue. Right. <laughs> the very, uh, yeah, Frankensteinian thing. Yeah, using arcane means, he had plotted it out. Perhaps it used the elements. There were elements of alchemy in it, maybe. But it was a machine that did it. And they saw it, and it's like, This is an abomination, sir! You will no longer be permitted to practice in this country! Mm-hmm. <laughs> So, okay, good, excellent. Yeah, he so didn't the mockery of science. He, yeah. didn't, he didn't even get finished with his proposal before they rejected him. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. They shut uh, it down quick. Very good. So this setting, Sorcerer's Gambit, is one that you may feel free to utilize in your writing or your games or what have you. It is available freely under Creative Commons. And, John, you had a recommendation? Neil Stevenson, among others, just mm. came out, started a series of books called The Mongoliad. And it's sort of a fictionalized world where Genghis Khan has come to the edge of Christendom and, and basically challenged Christendom to send their knights to have a winner-take-all gladiatorial game for Europe. If the Europeans win, he's not going to invade. And it's an interesting... He's written it, kind of co-authoring it with a bunch of other authors. And it's pretty good. It's clever. That sounds interesting. I actually, I read Snow Crash not too long ago. Snow Crash is great. And and, um, uh, his other... I just read a book called Reamdy. What is it? Reamdy. It's a play on Read Me. Um, uh, and it's about sort of a computer virus in a game that's sort of like World of Warcraft. And it's pretty good, too. I like most of his stuff. So Neil Stevenson in general will be my recommendation this week. So Awesome. Do we have anything else we want to hit on before we dive off here? Nope. I'm good on my end. I'm good okay. on my end. Jim, thanks very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun. <laughs> and everyone remember, join the cult. <laughs> <laughs> The one true Jim. One of Jim. One of Jim. It's important to consolidate the Jim power. Okay, say goodbye, fellas. Bye, fellas. Good morning. Good evening. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, depending on when you had your cereal. We are out. Thank you for listening to Crucible of Realms. Do you have comments or a question? Have you used one of our settings? Tell us about it. You can contact us at podcast at crucibleofrealms.com or leave a review for us on iTunes. We'd really appreciate it. Or if you'd like to contact one of the hosts individually, you can find our emails on the website at crucibleofrealms.com. 
The Crucible of Realms podcast and all settings created on it are released under a Creative Commons Attribution 3.0 unported license. All music was composed and performed by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com.